We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. TickPick should be your first choice to buy basketball tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees, ever. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Laker Film Room Podcast and Blue Wire Network. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And guys, I'm having the best time going around League Pass this year, watching the league. Uh, I mentioned this a couple pods ago, just really enjoying the league this season. And there's no team that I watch slash hate watch more than the Boston Celtics. And uh, last night, they absolutely ate it in the fourth quarter, a 39 to 11 fourth quarter. It was great seeing a couple former Lakers uh, take them down, along with Levine. DeRozan was incredible. This was a day or two after they blew uh, a double overtime game to a couple of other <laughs> former Lakers. Pete's just get, getting life off of this, Darius. I'm, I'm fueled by pettiness, man. It's, this is really like, it, it, yeah, that, you, you get me. You understand me. So I have my reasons with the Celtics, of course. So after the game, guys, you know, the Celtics crowd is booing. That's one of my favorite things, by the way, like the culmination of a game where it's, it's like a very, they're booing in a Boston accent. And uh, afterward, Marcus Smart had some comments, right, about the passing ability of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Smart is their starting point guard this year. He had zero assists in this game, of, of which, you know, I'm reading all of the tweets and replies, you know, within my pettiness of angry Celtics fan. It's all part of the, the whole package. And, you know, they're like, oh, you have no assists. You have no room to be talking. We've been watching you shoot freaking three for 16 in playoff games from three. Like, what are you talking? Anyway, they're starting to fight. But I do think there's an interesting point in there, Mike, is you're a big fan of two-way wings. Our, our friend of the show, Mike Garcia, made an interesting point yesterday. Kind of, We were having a conversation uh, about this topic, and he said, that only really works if one of those guys is a high-end playmaker. And I thought that was a really astute observation. Just in general, Mike, the, the, the Boston Celtics, and their team that coming into the season, I was like, oh, are they a dark horse for the NBA Finals? And we're only seven games in. There's no way to say that they're not, right? But there is a bit of staleness and funkiness that I would really love to delve into great detail about <laughs> as much as you guys would like to. Uh, anyway, take that in whatever direction you'd like to go. But what are you seeing from the Celtics, Mike? 
Oh, I love it. We were we were th- talking about ideas for the pod and maybe highlighting some players around the league that we've been enjoying on League Pass. But I I totally think it's fair, Pete, that we start in this spot since it is juicy. And uh, regardless of pettiness aside, right, this is the biggest story in the in the NBA as we talk. And I I'll have you guys harken back to a couple of pods ago, and we were talking about. A couple of different pairings, right? One was Tatum and Brown. And the other one was Zion and B.I., um, mm-hmm. if Zion were healthy. And from the, the the part of it that I love for Tatum and Brown is that they each have all of the skill sets that you might need to be a great player. But the concern was that there's still this, whether it's an alpha battle or whether it's just a their tendencies that we're now seeing over time are more that they both are looking to score. So it's it's like the stuff that Marcus Smart is saying has been forecasted because they had an issue with it last year. And and like this is the what whatever the reason is, Brown hasn't said, you know what, it's Tatum's team as the main guy. I'm gonna do all the little things around him. And that's gonna and whether that's and not that playmaking is a little thing, that's probably a, a adjacent point to this discussion that uh, Darius maybe could help clean up. But there hasn't been that that just way of complimenting each other and their teammates that they have figured out. They're so good that they can still beat teams on a given night with one of them going off and the other one having just a decent game. But this year it's been very stark. Like one of them's been super hot. The other one's been super cold and it's gone back and forth. And clearly now the fact that it's getting out, that it got out to everybody else through Marcus Smart, Darius, um, I think is quite problematic for Boston. But I'm just more interested in the in the fact that that tandem hasn't quite figured out how to really maximize each other. And it's been to the detriment of the team so far. So I'm a big believer in playmaking as a key function of any lead ball handler. I think that we've come to fetishize shot creation and we've too often equated shot creation to an individual's ability to create their own shot. And I, what's the difference? Being able to go get your own shot is one of the most important skills you can have in the NBA. I don't want to underplay the value of a player like Kevin Durant, who is six foot 11. He is a supreme isolation player. And he is someone who at any given time, 20 seconds on the shot clock, two seconds on the shot clock. He has the ball. He is a threat to score. And he's a threat to score probably anywhere from 30 feet and in. Right. And he can, he can just elevate over the top of you and get off a shot. And, and there's we, not a whole lot you can do about it. And there's just like, and there is like, I don't know if you guys heard PJ Tucker on JJ Reddick's pod, but PJ was talking about defending Durant during last year's playoffs. And PJ was sort of talking about how he had to fool himself as like a defender. Like, like this dude's going to get 50 on me like PJ was saying like he's gonna get 50 on me but I'm telling my teammates like I'm gonna make them work like no one's gonna have to work harder than Kevin Durant but PJ's like fooling himself into continuing to play hard and not get dispirited at the fact that this dude is literally busting his ass right and he given him 45 yeah 48 <laughs> on on great efficiency and so there's immense value in that But that value, I think, plateaus if you're also not a guy that keeps the defense honest by making a play for your teammates. 
Like, and I think it has to be at a certain enough level where you see the game at a next level enough that if the defense starts to overload on you or they start to throw different schemes at you, that you can then start to play chess with with the defense. Like I'm moving the ball here then that's going to move the defense this way. Then I'm going to go over here and eventually I'll either get the ball back in a better position to score, or I'm going to set up my teammates to be in a good position to score for, for themselves. And that level of playmaking, when Mike talks about the big wing and the value of, of the big wing inherently that quality to me is baked in to that player when we're talking about how important that player is, right? Because if you're not going to have that trait, that's the difference between, and this is no shade at Carmelo Anthony or no shade at Bernard King or no shade at any of these guys who are like in that archetype. Historically, guys who made the top 75 list that just came out for the NBA, but there's a certain amount of no, can you elevate other dudes around you? And I think that's the point that smart. It was, was making it's, it's, it's like, nah, man, like these dudes ain't passing. They ain't making plays for anyone else. They get in their own, but that don't make us better. The only thing I want to add in to the two way thing. I, what I'm talking about is the most important part for the two way player thing is the, the ability to dominate defensively at a couple of different spots on the offensive side of the court for a two-way player you have to have at least one or the other or like, like so you can be just a straight up scoring assassin and not be a playmaker but then you have to have a playmaker next to you yeah exactly th- that that's going to handle a lot of those duties like you know so like kd has had for most of his career like whether that was russ or whether that was steph uh, and even though Steph isn't like a pure playmaker, he certainly can. But that talent was just overwhelming. And that's Pete to get back to the Celtics. Like that's where what Marcus Smart is saying is that neither Tatum or Brown are really looking to make plays. And I just need one of them to do that. If not first, at least be competent. And we can go back to Jordan and Pippen for this. Like MJ didn't always do that. But guess what? Scotty was amazing uh, as a playmaker and, and yeah. underrated in that sense. Kevin Durant. He averages five assists this season, and he's at 4.2 for, for his career. Jason Tatum's at 2.7 assists for his career. Now, he's up yeah, to three point. Fair point. And a, a he, quick stat, D, along yeah. those lines, of players that have taken 20 or more shots per game, StatMuse tweeted this out. Tatum, I believe, is the lowest uh, lowest assist per game for players taking 20 or more, and Brown isn't too much for, farther behind, right? So it speaks to this point. I think of Kobe. Right. And to a certain extent, I think of Michael Jordan and they were aided, I think, by the fact that they played in a more democratic offense for the bulk of their primes. Right. Like they both played in the triangle and the triangle set you up with reads and and a system of offense that facilitated. Assist opportunities and chances to help your teammates get open shots based off of the fact that I'm a threat from this spot on the floor. There's screening and cutting actions going on over here. The spacing is right. And it's not a lot of like, oh, I'm just going to run pick and roll and then have to pick out all of these different guys. Like, oh, there's the tag man. Oh, is he tagging for real or is he showing and getting back? Where's the lob threat? Where's this guy? Where's that guy? And there's a lot of next level read stuff that I feel like when you get good at that stuff, 
you can excel as a playmaker in today's NBA. But if you haven't developed that stuff, I feel like it's much easier for some of these scorers to say, uh, guess what's open? This 18 foot pull up or this step back three when a guy goes under and the reads are so much more. Oh, I'm just going to shoot because that's the play. Especially when you've especially when you've got a bag like both of those guys, right? They can hit this wide variety of shots off of a wide variety of footwork that when there is that decision of do I make this skip pass or do I just swing it out to the next guy and and get into our secondary actions where it's like, and Kobe, Kobe was guilty of this too, right? Like when Kobe was bad, it was like, well, Kobe can hit the shot. Sometimes the fact that Kobe could hit a shot was his own worst enemy, right? Because it was a shot he'd hit 25% of the time when the rest of the league would hit it 5% of the time. So he was way better at it than the rest of the league. But on some possessions, it's like, hey, you know, move the ball, swing the ball. But I do think that the idea of playmaking within two big wings, I think this this whole idea even exists within the Clippers and Kawhi and Paul George, who are kind of older versions of that two-way wing who can be dominant on both ends of the floor. Anyway, uh, it will be fun to keep an eye on the the Celtics and and their uh, progress, or hopefully lack thereof. They're two and five now. Mike, who do you got, man? When we were talking, uh, perhaps less fueled by pettiness, who's your team or player that you wanted to talk about? Well, the player that I think I've enjoyed watching the most. I'm not. I'm certainly not alone here, uh, but is going to be Ja Morant, and we already got. Yes. We already got a chance to talk about Ja some because the Lakers, of course, played the Grizzlies. But I'm more curious about how you guys are seeing what Ja is doing league wide, and kind of what there haven't been a ton of point guards that are sort of that small that have been making a huge impact on winning. So Chris Paul is the first one that comes to mind over the last several years. Trey Young is now emerging, and, and he's an interesting one to talk about too. But the way that Ja has has picked up his scoring without dropping off the playmaking, and like that to me before here before I wax poetic on it, let me kick it to you guys and just see if you agree and like what you've noticed specifically about Ja so far. Ja is my favorite non Laker to watch around the league right now. He is unbelievable. It's not there's not always one of these players in the league, but usually there's kind of like the king of the little guys, your tiny Archibalds, your Allen Iversons. He reminds me a lot of AI um, in terms of, of his game and his movement. He is so precise in his technique. When you when you combine the precision of technique with just elite quickness and athleticism, he is smoking guys. Bazemore made a comment about how uh, Ja put him in the spin cycle. And part of it's just because like he's taking these short little choppy steps and then exploding in another direction. But it, he's, he started that out by driving hard in one direction and then he's able to hard stop and you're just going to keep going D you're just going to keep flying in that direction. And he pulls it the other way and he's got all these different gathers. He's tied for the NBA lead right now. This was, this may have changed. This was a, a game or two ago for points in the paint at his size. He's got all these different gathers, these low gathers. He had this shot against Denver last night where he picked up his dribble high with his left hand and then he gathered up here and then like moved it over. It was just like, whoa, what was that? I had to rewind it to see what he did. He's got all of these tricks and he's so young and still so athletically gifted that that marriage of the precision of technique with still the athleticism of a really young player. Just my, my favorite player around the league right now to, to watch aside from the Lakers. I love John Morant, um, a name that neither of you is, have mentioned, but he reminds me of him, not necessarily from an aesthetics game standpoint, but from a 
I get where I want. I'm super effective. I'm at this size and sort of like a version 2.0 or maybe even 3.0 of of this player is Isaiah Thomas, Zeke yeah. Isaiah Thomas, not IT. The Detroit. The, yes, mm-hmm. Detroit Isaiah Thomas. Zeke was That's an absolute one. killer. He was yeah. a killer. And there's a reason why guys who watched him during the 80s or are from the Detroit area cape for him the way that they do as like, no, 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 no. Like, you're talking about Some the best point I, guards. Like, you're talking about yeah. the best point guards ever. Like, this dude is number three at worst, right? Like, yeah, they're br- like, you got to bring his name up very early in the conversation. Yeah, Some of the names okay. he gets compared to are disrespectful. They're like, oh, if give you me Magic Johnson. John game, well, yeah, so Magic, I'm taking aside from this almost just because he, he was 6'9", he could do everything else. But if I, like, a, I probably take Zeke first, excluding Magic, if I have to win one game, like over Stockton, or even if, if I have to win a playoff series, I'd rather have Zeke than Stockton, wouldn't you guys? Oh, for sure. Yes, well, I, it's like, you put aside Magic, and then it's just like, okay, like, maybe I'll give you Oscar. Like, people who saw him during the 80s, they will say, maybe I'll give you Oscar. But after that, don't talk to me about... John Stockton and Steve Nash, right? Like, don't talk to me yeah. about about Jason Kidd even or Gary Payton. Like, these guys were great players in their own right. This is Isaiah Thomas, right? And so when yes. I look at Jaw, there is a the thing I liked about Zeke the most is that he would he would smile and then he'd step on your neck, right? There was a there was a driven personality there that made him such a fun player and that's how i'm that's how i look at jaw oh right? i totally see jaw, that yeah jaw's very motivated very determined type of guy yeah jaw is super fun and he's electric right but down the stretch of games he is a killer he is a yes, killer sir. right and this this sort of want and ability to make the big play at the end of the game like I thought his coming out party wasn't even this year it was down the stretch of last season and in the playoff in the play-in game against the Warriors were down the stretch of that game the Warriors literally had nothing for him at all and it was get into his floater get into his floater like spin move floater step back like he's got all of these little pieces of Iverson of prime Derrick Rose of Isaiah Thomas of all of these sort of small guards he is like this this amalgamation of all of these dudes and it's just like he is just a joy he is a joy to watch like I heard this on a recent pod and there was a debate and it was just like, if you had to redraft the Jaw Zion draft, like Jaw's going number one, right? Like Zion's availability yeah. at this point and like the injury stuff, like yeah, and that's changed. just Jaw's yeah. trajectory, he is he is unbelievable. He is just a fantastic player. The you know, the other reason I wanted to enter Jaw into this is just to try to contextualize Memphis and what Jaw can do to lift them and do they have enough around him. And and before I do that quickly, Darius, the end of his rookie year and even the bubble was when was when I thought he really started to take a leap. Like he was putting up triple doubles in the bubble. He was going he was having like 26 points, 13 assist games in, in games where Memphis was really um, trying to make an impact. And then he hurt his ankle. And I think the second game of the regular season of his sophomore year after his yeah. first game, he had 44 
I want to say I'm just pulling it up right now. He had 40. Yeah, he had some like he had some crazy. Hey, I'm I'm here. Yeah, 44 points on 18 to 27 from the field, and then he hurt his ankle like right out and just wasn't the same. Uh, but but so bringing that forward now and looking at Memphis as we sit, they're four and three, right? Same record as the Lakers, which is tied for fourth in among the best records in the Western Conference. Jaron Jackson Jr., who we could enter into this a little bit, has been okay. Like he hasn't he hasn't been great, but he's been okay. His his functionality as a rim protector who can shoot threes, that certainly fits the league. Steven Adams seems to work fine, lower usage than Valencia Yunus. You've got some young guys like Desmond Bain getting better. They haven't gotten Dylan Brooks back yet. Um, our guy Slomo, who we've talked about before. So it's an interesting mix for me. And and I, I do really like Memphis, but I'm still I'm not I'm wondering if they have that that guy to really match Ja as like a second guy. And if Jaron can get there and if, if he's going to be able to get there soon enough to make them a problem, like in this year or next year's playoffs. And that's where my question is, but I'm, I've got one eyebrow raised as I watch them right now. Let's take a quick break, come back and, and try to answer that question and then get into Darius's team or player. He wants to talk about TickPick should be your first choice to buy basketball tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees, ever. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Laker Film Room Podcast and Blue Wire Network. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Mike, I don't think they do have it. Like, I think they're going to be a good team, but I don't think they have that number two. And if Jackson becomes that player, that's going to be down the line rather than in that next year or two. It's funny. There are so many teams, especially with, you know, being really addicted again to the NBA and spending every night hopping around on League Pass. One of the most frequent things that I think is like, God, this team would be amazing with Anthony Davis on it, right? Like, they're just not in terms just of the talent, but the the big defensive player. Like, one of the questions about Ja will be as his career progresses at his size and the playoffs. The playoffs are not always kind, especially the deeper you get to the really small guys, and you can zero in defensively on a you know on a really small player. So that will be how he navigates. That will be interesting. I'm not going to bet against John Morant though, but. 
that compliment of that big physical imposing type of big next to a John Morant would be so much fun, right? And I just don't think that they have that guy. They have a lot of really good players. To me, they're a team that screams consolidation trade, a two for one, three for one type of deal to get kind of a, an upgrade there. Um, but very curious to see what what direction they go in. Anyway, D, comment on that and, and give us the team or player you want to talk about. I'm bullish on Memphis's long-term potential. I think that they're well-coached. I think they've got a good front office in place that has made a lot of smart decisions that um, are really allowing their trajectory to be a steady, solid, like, progressive forward and upward trajectory, right? And I think what you said, Pete, about consolidation or having one of their players make a leap is going to be super important because they are too good now to, I think, get a impact player in the draft that is going to end up being like the secondary guy to jaw. They needed that guy to be a top five pick sort of guy. And that's where Jackson Sora sort of fits in. I think he went number four in his draft. And like what they really need is for Jaron Jackson to look like a player of Evan Mobley's potential. There you go. That's what they need. Right. So you're talking about Anthony Davis, like Evan Mobley to me is that dude where it's just like, oh, OK, and, this and is there's a defensive dominance there. Right. Like yeah. Jaws size, he can't be dominant on the defensive end. This is a core component of Mike's argument about big wings. Right. Is that ability to dominate on both. ends? Jaws never going to be a dominant defensive player. So having that type of superstar next to him would be ideal. Well, I go back to like that Zeke comp. Look how those Pistons teams won, man. They had Dennis Rodman. They had John Sally. They like they had all of these dudes. They had Joe Dumars. Great defenders. More defense, defense, defense. And they just grinded you up. My team slash player is, I think, a team that we've us three have probably, you know, watched on League Pass a fair amount. And it's the Chicago Bulls and Lonzo Ball. Mm -hmm. I've really enjoyed the way Lonzo's been playing. When the Lakers drafted Lonzo all those years ago, three teams ago, the... It's crazy. It went by so fast. The idealized version of him or sort of what you envisioned in him was probably something close to what he's doing in Chicago now. Mm -hmm. Someone who is who can facilitate a sometimes dominant transition game, someone who can be an off-ball worker and shooter and connector in the half court, someone who's going to defend and rebound and do all of the little things and, and just be a winning player. Yeah, and, guard Draymond, basically, yeah. Yeah, and, and I've really enjoyed him, like, stepping up with his shooting. He's shooting almost 40% from, well, from three I think that his flaws as a like not getting to the rim, not drawing fouls like that, like I think this is the player he is it, like like in those regards. He's never going to be the guy who shoots even four free throws a game. I think he averages like one a game at this point. So every mm -hmm. other game he makes one trip to the foul line. That's basically who he is. But he is helping that team win on a night to night basis in in ways that. The Bulls are at the top of the conference, man. Like, I don't know how long that's going to last. We talked about them a few pods ago and, and how their schedule is going to get, get tougher. And I think we're going to see what they're made of soon enough. But to come out of the gate six and one, I think DeRozan's looked great for them. Like he was another malign yeah. signing for them. Like, oh, how are you going to pay DeRozan that much money? But he's been a offensive fulcrum 
for them and he's really seemed to pair well with with Levine and they have Lonzo and our boy Caruso as like connecting players between these guys who can be high usage offensive guys and it's just seemed to be working for them. And, and so I just wanted to give a shout out to the Bulls and, and sort of get your thoughts on like an Eastern Conference team that I think we all are probably keeping our eye on a little bit as like Lakers fans with like these former Lakers that are there doing well. I really love how they put that team together. I think that it's very considerate. And there's a lot to be said for getting to good, right? The Bulls have been bad for a long time. This, it's kind of like, they're having the year, at least it's starting off that way, that the Knicks had last year, that there's something to be said for just getting to good. You're not going to get all the way to finals contender. A lot of teams over the last decade have been like, we're going to break it all down and we're going to sign two max guys and it's going to be great. First of all, that doesn't happen the vast majority of times. The Knicks were one of those teams that said, we're going to sign all these guys and did not. And then even when you do, there are all sorts of pitfalls that can come with that. It's not always, doesn't always work out. And so them building the team as they have, like the DeRozan signing, did they overpay for him? Probably. It's not my money. It's not not anyone else's money. And it's not preventing them from getting anybody else. And DeRozan's a good player. He's a number one, number two guy on a good team as an offensive creator. Then you have Vucevic at the five. And I think that having both DeRozan and Vucevic as the offense, main offensive guys with Levine, of course, they really doubled down on defense, Mike. And so Lonzo and Alex and Patrick Williams before his injury, that's a, that's a bummer that he's out because he was a good piece there. Tony Bradley's been really good as a backup for them as kind of this compliment to Vucevic as this, you know, stout defense, you know, offensive rebounder, just a big dude that's going to be a presence in the paint in a way that, that, that Vucevic will not. And so, I, I just really like how they've built that team. I don't think that they're, I, I think they're similar to the Knicks last year, you know, first, second round type of team, but I really like the steps that they're taking. Yeah, I, Darius, you're right. I've definitely been watching them closely and it's, it's not just because of Lonzo and Caruso, although that's definitely a big part of it. And I think if I'm, if I recall my own preseason take correctly, it's that I worry more about their big picture because of they, they had to give up three firsts in the future to get to Rosen and Vucevic, um, neither of whom makes a big difference defensively. But you see what, what having selfless guys who, who can still do some stuff on offense, and that's Lonzo and Caruso, especially that has really changed the culture in a way there. And Billy Donovan is the kind of coach that, He's, he's a little bit like Vogel in the sense that he's a genuinely good guy and guys he, and he preaches the right things and guys will go along with that. Like, I, I do think that he's a, a player that or a coach that can get players to buy in like that. So they benefited early, definitely from the schedule, right? It was Detroit twice, New Orleans, but now they've beaten Utah and Boston, now, albeit Boston, a bit of a mess as we highlighted, as Pete highlighted to start this pod. And Utah was a little shorthanded uh, in that game, but we can no longer just say, oh, it's just the schedule because now they're six and one. And I don't care who it is that you play in the NBA, like six and one is is fair. So I probably end up still siding with Pete that that they are. I don't see them winning the East or anything, but I do think they could win a series uh, in the right matchup. And, and probably, again, a, a little bit like New York last year, but more talented, I think, overall than that Knicks team who just was going to be fall short on offense at some point. So do you think they could be last year's Knicks or last year's Hawks or somewhere in between? I'd say a little closer to the Hawks, a little closer to the Hawks. If they, the problem is they're not very deep. And so if one yeah. of those guys does go down, right, they end up, they end up having some trouble. But if they stay healthy, 
Pete, like I, I do think that they could catch a team as opposed to the Knicks where I was like, there's no way I'm not picking the Knicks over any of these teams that they might face in the first round. Yeah. One of the talents of Tom Thibodeau is he can get a team to play hard more frequently than pretty much any coach in the NBA. And so there is a, you know, regular season benefit to that, but also you don't have too much in the way of extra gears to access. And, but credit, like this is a, a building year for the the Bulls, just as that was for the Knicks. D, I have them closer to the Knicks. I think they have some yeah. offensive issues, especially come playoff time. Some of their second units are a little clunky from a shot creation standpoint, where I think they'll come in a playoff series, they'll get zeroed in on. So I have them more as a, but I'm also with Mike in a in the right matchup. It depends on how the regular season goes. If they get a, a top three seed, can they yeah. be a 6-7-8 seed? Of course they can. So yeah, I have them in, in that territory. And one last thing, I really just want to give a shout out again to DeMar DeRozan, who I think has been a much maligned player around the league and was one of those early guys where the analytics did not like him. Like, oh, like every team that he's on, they're better with him off the court than when he's on the court. And but DeRozan is a great floor raiser. Um and and I think you're seeing some of that value here with the Bulls, right? And and that idea that you said before, Pete, about going from just there's value in getting to good. And DeRozan helps you get to good. He did it with the Spurs. And yes. now he's doing it with the Bulls as well. And the complementary talent around him as like defensive guys will be interesting. I'll be interested to see what happens when Kobe White gets back, because that's a depth piece that I think could potentially help that depth issue that that both you guys were talking about. No, good point. And also the offense on those second units, he would be very helpful in that respect. Speaking of offense, it's down around the league this year. Uh, We've got, I've loved how the refs are officiating the games, even beyond the not letting guys, you know, pump fake and then throw themselves into a defender that's closing out. There's just a lot of, if you didn't, and, if the defender didn't initiate the contact, they're not getting called for fouls around the league that I am loving. And it's reminiscent of a of a style of play that I definitely prefer. We also have the new ball. So, Mike, have you heard anything from anyone about about the ball, about anything uh, about the refs? What's kind of the word on the streets regarding scoring being down around the NBA? I still haven't gotten a chance to ask anybody about the ball. The The problem this year in terms of access, and this is all post-COVID, is that without locker room access, there's less time for the chit-chat stuff with the players. Right. And so right. when we're talking to them, they're coming into the press conference room and we're all in there. So it's there. You only got you only have one or two th- chances, right, to ask something. And, and there's been so much going on that I haven't gotten to that yet. I still want to, though. So stay tuned. Although I did see a, I did see um, who was it? Was it? Trey Young that was just talking Paul, about the ball. Paul George, Paul George, Paul George, George yeah. yeah, that's right. So, so that's one thing. But I, for me, you guys have heard me complain over the years about the BS fouls, right? And I, I happen to center in on Lou Will a lot, on Harden, um, on. So I feel like this rule was invented to make me happy. Like it, it's been amazing <laughs> not seeing all that junk. Because guess what? It goes away in the playoffs in winning time. You don't get those calls then. So why are we going to go through a whole regular season establishing that habit? So that's been great. But I have one thing, and I think this has been discussed more and more, and I did ask Vogel about it, about it the other day. It's the Euro file. And that has been mm. skyrocketing. Yeah. And that is terrible for the game. Can, can you explain what that is for people who don't know? So basically just anytime you see somebody start a fast break coming down a transition and you'll see a, an opponent – 
do a wrap-up foul. So instead of giving up something in transition, they'll just reach out and take the foul. Sometimes even when in the bonus. In, in other words, like putting them right to the free throw line. So what I would love to see that go into is call that an intentional foul or a technical foul, give a technical free throw, and then give the ball. Or at least something that's going to make t- guys not do it anymore because that's one of the most – not only is it exciting to watch, but for selfishly for the Lakers in this standpoint, like that's something that they want to do. They want to get out and run. And if you can have guys just grabbing them. So I think that's an element to it. But overall, I'm I'm happy based on where we were last year with these calls. And I just hope that it doesn't get to the point where, all right, that well, now that we've established that, let's go back to giving you that call. You know, Harden and so on. Yeah. <laughs> can I just say about the take? They call that the take foul as well. Like the Euro foul, they call it the take foul, right? Where it's just like, oh, I'm just taking this foul in order to to stop the action. It, it happens in soccer, by the way, all the time. They call in soccer, they call it a professional foul and you get a yellow yes. card for it. Um, but and, and I hate it in, in that sport as well. So <laughs> I didn't know that, you know, a guy who commits that foul a lot. Russell Westbrook commits that foul a lot, guys. Like he does. he's been he's been committing it at least once a game because the Lakers have had a lot of turnovers. And a lo- this is a foul that you see happen a lot of times off of off of a live ball turnover. This is a great point because all your momentum from your team's going this way. Yep. And all of a sudden, the other team has the ball and you got to put on the brakes. And, and they're going the other direction. Foul. And it's much easier mm-hmm. to say because there's times, too, where it's not even a man advantage. Where it's just like it, like if the ball handler acts like if if instead of taking that foul, you just turned and sprinted, it would probably a lot of times be a three on three. But going in that direction, it's a three on two. If and you're like, do I want to run? Do I want to turn and sprint, or do I want to commit this foul? And nine times out of ten, it's I'm going to commit this foul. Right. And so I, I agree with you, Mike, they need to legislate it out of the game in some way, shape or form. I'm I'm not smart enough to give you a great solution that's also not going to have unintended con- consequences because that's how this stuff goes. You better think two or three steps ahead um, when, when it comes to solving issues like this. But that 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 is something that that needs to go away. I think there's a lot of factors that are contributing to scoring being down. Um, I do think that the game being officiated differently um, could be impacting things. I think that the new ball could be impacting things. I think a shorter turn turnaround still, right? Like it wasn't sure. as severe as between the the bubble season and then last regular season, right? It wasn't that bad, but it was still a shortened season. Like, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to the Bucks. Yeah. But the the Bucks haven't been playing anyone, basically, right? Like they like Drew's been sitting out and Lopez has been sitting out. And like they had that deep run all the way to the finals, right? Middleton's been sitting out games. Now those guys played it in the Olympics as well. So they've got an extra tax on them. And so I Mm. think they're being Mm -hmm. diligent there. But I think there's some of that go going on too. Like so there's probably a lot of factors that are contributing to things. And it could also just be that like every 10 or 15 years, I feel like, like the defense starts to catch up again. Like That's part they, of it. Yes. Like they just start to catch up. 
right? And we could be seeing that trend again too. Like we saw it in the 90s, it went away. We saw it again around like the 2008, 2010 era, right? With those, with Tibbs Celtics and, and all of that, like it started to catch up again then. And now I feel like maybe we're seeing it again. So I'm not sure. It's probably a lot of different factors. That's always the push and pull of basketball. It's one of the great things to see transpire over multiple decades is that push and pull from offense and defense. I think that teams are getting better at understanding how to switch but also eliminate mismatch advantage. That's one of the things I've noticed is there is more trapping going on around the league. I actually think the Lakers and Vogel Vogel's style has been kind of influential in that where I'm seeing more teams kind of do like, oh, we do that too, you know? Uh, but anyway, I have really enjoyed between the, the rule changes and the last two minutes of there not being constant yeah. stoppages and reviews and things like that. Basketball's so much wa- more watchable this season along with the fans being back and all that if last year you kind of drifted away from what I thought was not a very good product around the league, I would very much encourage you to, you know, get league pass or turn on NBA TV, watch some games. It's been really fun to start the season. Lakers got uh, the second one against Houston tonight. We'll be back tomorrow to cover all of that here on the Laker Film Room Podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. Magic fires, it's good, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Three seconds left, that next to the winner, it's on the way, good! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's, There's the move. move. Two. Score. Missing. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.